The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Well, hey, good morning. Uh, my name's Chris. If I didn't, I think I met y'all on your way in, but I'm the pastor here. Good to be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you grab them and open them up uh, to Matthew 19? That's where we just uh, were in the reading, but Matthew chapter 19 is where we're going to be. You can open a phone or a tablet to Matthew 19. We'll be reading from the English Standard vo- uh, Version, the ESV. There are hardback black Bibles under every chair, and Matthew 19 is on page 824 in those Bibles, but we're going to uh, deal with that text that was just read over us. Matthew 19. As, as you're meeting me there, I, I want to let you know, I, I heard a story this week um, about a woman and her name uh, was Anna Marquez. Maybe is, was, is, I'm not sure. Okay. Anna Marquez. Uh, in the summer of 2017, Anna was vacationing in Paris and she was having such a great time uh, that she decided to extend her vacation uh, and head to Copenhagen for a couple more weeks. It sounds like a rough life, right? I mean, that's, that's what I read when I read that. But, but on, the first, uh, on the day of the flight from Paris to Copenhagen, a perfect storm of events occurred. Uh, what happened was she got to the Paris airport running behind, running late. And so she checked in, checked her bags. But when they printed her ticket, they gave her the wrong ticket. So she received the wrong ticket. They actually gave her a ticket for a woman named Marie, but uh, Anna was so rushed in the airport that she didn't check it very closely. In fact, she didn't even check to see the destination on her ticket. All she looked for was the gate number, and then she booked it to make her flight. This, This is her direct quote. This is Anna's direct quote. My ticket was made out in another name, and I didn't have enough time to check it because I was in a hurry. So that's, this is a true story, okay? You might think that's not possible. It's possible, okay? It's, it's happened. So she goes on to explain, Anna goes on to explain, that the gate agent checked her boarding pass, scanned it, and her passport, but didn't look to see if they matched. Didn't look to see if they matched. So that's a, a fumble. Then she boarded the plane and immediately fell asleep. Fell asleep as soon as she sat down, missed all the announcements during the flight, okay? And only became aware of the mistake. After the flight landed, she deboarded the plane, walked into the terminal, and saw an unfamiliar alphabet on the signage in the airport. She had arrived in Athens, Greece. Not, not, not Copenhagen, the destination that she had been planning on. True story. True story. You can read about it on Google. Uh, I, I heard this story this week. I think it's a fitting parable for so many people who I meet with and engage with because so many people I talk with will, will oftentimes communicate this to me. Chris, the destination where I found myself in my life is completely different. It's a completely different destination than where I thought I was heading, than where I thought I would be at this point. And hear me, this can show up in all sorts of ways. It can show up in in careers. I can't believe I am where I am in my career. This can show up in your socioeconomics. Man, I thought it'd be much wealthier by this point. Uh, It can show up in health. I can't believe that my body is broken down in this way. I'm surprised by this. But sometimes, most acutely, this shows up in conversations about relational status, relationship status. It's like many of us had a ticket to the life that we desired, uh, but somehow in a series of unfortunate events, uh, we got on the wrong plane. Somehow in a series of unfortunate events, consequences, we we ended up in the wrong destination and we didn't even sometimes even realize it until we landed there. And you walked in and you were just blindsided by it. So for the next couple weeks, uh, as we continue in our journey straight through the gospel of Matthew, uh, we're going to talk about relationships because that's what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 19. So we're going to cover specifically marriage, divorce, remarriage, and singleness. We're going to cover those in the next couple of weeks. And, and, and here's the truth. I know married people who feel like they're in the wrong destination. And I know single people who feel like they got on the wrong plane too. 
So this isn't a single or a married, this is an all of us kind of thing. And so today I'm taking the text out of order. Okay, I told you this last week. I'm gonna start with singleness. I'm gonna start with singleness, even though in the order of the text, this follows the marriage and divorce and remarriage section. But uh, the reason I'm doing that is because there's 25 parents in the basement finishing the last week of our summer parenting class. So with a bunch of married people in the basement right now, uh, I don't want them to miss the divorce sermon next week, okay? That, so, so I just kind of strategically did that. I'm gonna circle back and do Matthew 19, one through nine next week. But today we're gonna jump ahead and we're gonna do Matthew 19, verses 10 through 12. We only have three verses to cover and we're gonna see what Jesus has to say about singleness today. Now, um, I have taught on singleness a couple of times before in our church's history. Uh, I did teach on this about five years ago here at Fathom uh, before COVID. Uh, And at that time, I did the demographic research. At that time, only about 25% of our church, of the adults at our church were single. About a quarter of our church uh, back in 2018 when I last taught this were single. Uh, But I looked again this week and that number has changed That number has changed. We are now 43% single people, single adults at Fathom Church, which hear me is way closer to the national average. The national average, we're almost uh, 50% of adults in the United States are single. About half of the adult population in the US are single. And by the way, that's the highest that number has ever been. It's the highest that number has ever been. Been. So one of the reasons why we're going to talk about singleness is because there's a lot of singles in our church, in our world, and that number is statistically growing both in here and out there. So we need to talk about that. But I would say this, the most important reason why we're going to talk about singleness is because the Bible does. Jesus actually has some things to say about Singleness. Uh, Jesus, his whole approach to uh, the topic of marriage is actually grounded in the concept, uh, a, a concept that redefines not only marriage, but singleness as well. And I'll, I'll show you this in the text, but unfortunately, in many Christian circles, in many churches even, uh, it is implied, if not explicitly stated, that there's something wrong about being single. Whether it's implied or it's explicit, uh, there's something in Christian circles, in evangelical churches that tends to put marriage on a pedestal and singleness is almost like a second-class citizenship within the church. As if it's some sort of like JV status to be looked down upon. And, And there are churches and ministries that either intentionally or unintentionally, and I hope it's more unintentional than intentional, but either way, they function as something of like a speed dating meat market for Christian singles. That's really, I mean, there's, there are single ministries that do this. It's just like a a hot place to meet singles who just happen to like love Jesus and read the Bible and know when to lift their hands during a Hillsong tune. That's, that's kind of how they work. I literally, I've, I've had guys, it doesn't happen as much anymore, but I had guys early in our church who would leave our church to go to other churches, not because they don't like Fathom, not because they didn't like our church, but literally I had a guy tell me, I'm gonna leave because I gotta go find a spouse. I gotta go find a spouse and we, Fathom, we don't have a singles ministry. I had a guy say, hey, do you have a singles ministry? I said, we don't have a singles ministry. He's like, I gotta go find another church because I need a singles ministry. And I'm imagining that he went and, you know, showed up in his ripped jeans, his bro tank, like doused in cologne, right? I mean, just imagine this, like he probably brought a paper Bible because you, I mean, if it's just electronic, you're not nearly as spiritual. So you got to like show up, you know, presenting. So you bring the paper Bible and I'm serious. He probably knows like when to lift his hands at the right moment in worship. You are perfect in all of your ways, right? Like that's, that's like Christian girl stink bait right there, Okay. I'm imagining the ladies are like, ooh, I bet he leads his family well, right? He'd be a great head of house. Like that's, I imagine that's what's going on. And I'm only kind of joking. I mean, I'm only, hear me, I'm only kind of joking. This is built though upon a faulty view of singleness within the Christian culture. A faulty theology of singleness. Singleness is sometimes looked down upon in the church, but the biblical view of these things is much, much different. 
It's much different. So that's what we're going to dig into today. Matthew chapter 19, singleness. We're going to pick it up in verse 10. So go ahead and take a look at your text with me. Jesus' disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But Jesus said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. Now, those two verses, if it feels like we're picking up like right in the middle of a conversation, we are. That's, yeah, we are picking up right in the middle of something. And we don't normally do this, but we had to flip the order this week. But let me just explain real quick what happened because what happened in one through nine determines where we're at in 10 through 12. Uh, Here's what happening is happening. Jesus in one through nine is teaching against a very liberal philosophy of divorce that is permeating the Jewish culture in his day and age. In, in Jesus' day, the view, the predominant, most popular view on marriage in rabbinic Judaism was progressive. It was liberal. And it said that literally a man could divorce his wife for any reason. Any reason at all. She burnt the bread, divorce her. You come home, the fish isn't cooked right, divorce her. I'm not joking. We have, we have, we have extra biblical sources that show us that this was the, the, the climate of the culture. Now, hear me. The women couldn't do anything. Women, you had no hand in this, okay? The husband could divorce the wife. The wife couldn't do anything about it. It was a complete patriarchal top-down society. But a man could literally divorce his wife for any reason. And, and to that, Jesus says a very firm and lasting Uh uh-uh, no way. That is not what we are doing as members of God's kingdom. Now, we'll get into that in depth next week. We'll talk about that in depth next week. But, But this is what the disciples are walking into. This is what they're hearing. And so here's what they do. In response to Jesus' new calling, a high calling for marriage, not a just divorce at whim calling, but a higher calling to marriage with an assumption. They, they, they walk in with this assumption. They say, well, then it would just be better. It would just be better if we didn't ever get married. Right? Typical non-committal dudes here. Wouldn't it just be better, Jesus? If, if that's the bar for marriage, maybe we should just remain single. And to that... Jesus shockingly says, kind of, yeah. Yeah, it might be better. It might be better. Not everyone can receive this, only those to whom it's given. So it, it seems that Jesus in this moment is neither favoring marriage nor singleness, He doesn't seem to be propping them up against one another. He seems to kind of level the playing field and he calls both of them callings, like very high callings. This, by the way, flies in the face of the evangelical myth that that marriage is the ideal. It is the evangelical myth that marriage is the idea. here's, Here's good biblical theology around relationships, okay? After the fall, after Genesis 3 and sin and the fall and the breaking of all things, after the fall, listen to me, marriage is not God's ideal. Marriage is now one of God's ideals, but singleness is also one of God's ideals. After the fall, both are ideal for how we can follow Jesus faithfully. And the apostle Paul agrees with Jesus and makes this very same point in 1 Corinthians. I'll put this up. 1 Corinthians 7, he says this. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of Another. Now, when Paul says these words, he is saying, when he says, I wish that all were as I myself am, he's talking about being single. 
Whether Paul was always single or whether he was a single at this point in his life, either way, he's talking about being single and the church has historically taken this. And for 1500 years after Paul uttered these words, for 1500 years, really until the Reformation, until the Reformation period, the church tend to, tended to view singleness as the higher calling than marriage. That's actually historically how the church has viewed this. Marriage was a lower calling. Singleness was a higher calling. Thus, the formation of monasteries and the celibacy of priests and nuns and monks that was built into their practice. But what the crux of Paul's argument is when he says that each has his own gift, that's what he's, he's saying. Each has his own gift. Marriage is a gift. Singleness is a gift. And that mirrors Jesus' words back in our text that this is only to whom it is given. Given implies that it's a gift. So let me make my first point about singleness this morning. First, singleness is a temporary gift even if it lasts your whole life. Singleness is a temporary gift. And just so you know, with each point today, you could swap out singleness and you could put marriage in there as well. You could do that. Singleness is a temporary gift and marriage is a temporary gift as well. Just so you know, marriage is temporary. Elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus makes it clear that there will be no need for marriage, no reality of marriage in eternity, in heaven. We'll deal with that another time. That should make you feel a little uncomfortable. But, we'll, but, but listen, they're both temporary gifts. They are, your, your relational status is an earthly, temporary gift from God. So let me just say some things here. Say some things. These are, these are things that you should hear. Um, in this life... Not everyone is called to be married, but everyone is called to be single. Everyone is called to be single. Every single person in the world is called to be single at the very least for a season of their life. Everyone is single for a season. Some are single for their whole lives and then everybody else will be single again or die. Is that too blunt? I mean, this is rational stuff here, okay? Uh, I mean, you got singleness, not marriage, is the norm of humanity. It's the norm. In a post-fall world, that's the norm. See, one mistake we make when we talk about singleness is that we tend to only kind of mean youngish, never-been-married single people. That's what we tend to mean when we talk about singleness, but that's a very myopic view of singleness. There's lots of stages of singleness in one's life. Some of them are young and they're just excited and dating and kind of in that world. Like there is that stage, but there are others who are single for a much longer period of time. Single for a much longer period of time and others still are single maybe because of a divorce or because of the death of a spouse and they become single again. So hear me, everyone is single for a season. Some are single for their whole lives. And everybody else, married people included, you're either gonna be single again or you will die. And then you'll be single in the kingdom of heaven because you will be completely fulfilled by a relationship with Jesus in his presence in eternity. Singleness, hear me, it's a temporary gift. And I want to use that idea to deal with the deeply held myth in our culture, uh, even within our churches. Uh, here's the myth. I call it the marriage equals completion myth. The marriage equals completion myth. It seems that we assume that marriage and the nuclear family is some kind of ultimate state for humanity. We seem to assume that. And thus, if you don't find that someone special to spend your life with, you have somehow missed out on an essential part of a full and happy life. That's what this myth, the myth of completion, marriage equals completion. And it seems to me that in general, singles are viewed by others 
as well as viewed by themselves as lacking something or missing something. And what tends to happen is that as, a sing, as singleness persists in one's life, people begin to think that something might be wrong with that single person. What's wrong with that guy? What's wrong with that gal? And frankly, I think singles can begin to feel as though God has robbed them of something or has forgotten them as well by not bestowing on them a spouse. And so these narratives kind of build each other up. You, you, you can hear it at times in how we encourage single people. We do it meaningfully, like we try to actually be kind in this, but we say things, we say things that are just kind of dumb, right? We, 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 we say things like, don't worry, don't worry, you know, poor you. I know you're, you're missing kind of this thing, but don't worry, there's, there, there's many fish in the sea. It might happen. You never know. Like we use these kinds of messages, right? It's like the caricature of the sweet old lady at a wedding, right? The sweet old lady who comes up to the single person at a wedding, just don't worry, you'll be next, right? Like meaningfully, like they're trying to be sweet. And don't worry, you'll be next. I would just encourage you, single people here, okay? I would just encourage you to say the exact same thing to that sweet old lady. Just do it at funerals, okay? <laughs> don't worry, you'll be next, right? Like you... You have my permission. You have my permission to do that. Sometimes, listen, sometimes we'll tell singles things that, that we mean, we mean in kind and we mean to be loving and encouraging, but they just comes out wrong. So we'll say things like, hey, God just has a little bit more work to do on you. I've heard these things. God just, God is, God is sanctifying you. Like we'll throw some flowery Jesus language, some theology, God's working on you. And before he'll bring that someone special to you, you've got to become someone special. Which listen, that's just dumb. Hey, don't listen. I mean, the message of this whole sermon could be, don't be dumb. Okay. Don't be dumb. I understand the sentiment. Yeah, God does want to work on you while you are single, but this kind of messaging leaves the single person thinking, you saying I'm not special yet? Are you saying I'm not lovable yet? Because that's the narrative that's going on in my brain. It's not to mention the truly dysfunctional people I see who get married all the time. I mean, really, like if, if, if marriage is a gift for those who are special and lovable and have things put together, man, God missed the address on a lot of marriages. I do a lot of marital counseling around these things. And we can laugh at like little things like this, but, but hear me, this myth leads to a ton of confusion, a ton of pain. And Jesus, who, by the way, was single himself, don't believe the Da Vinci Code, all right? He was a single man, and Jesus taught explicitly against this nonsense. So strongly, in fact, that if you weren't a savvy reader of the text, you'd be tempted to think that he's dissing marriage. You'd think he was downplaying marriage, Paul the same. Singleness is a temporary gift. Now, Jesus goes on to elaborate on three gifts, like gifts of singleness. So we're going to keep reading in our text. Let's look at verse 12. Matthew 19, 12. For there are eunuchs. Okay, stop right there. That took a hard left turn, right? The eunuch word dropped right away in verse 12, and we need to handle it. Follow me here. A eunuch, uh, do we need, I mean, do I need to explain all of this? I probably should, okay? A eunuch is, uh, is one who is unable to have sexual relations uh, due to a number of reasons, due to a number of reasons. Most, though, commentators of the, the, the scriptures agree that this idea of eunuchs that Jesus is using here uh, is analogous with one who is sexually celibate. That's what most commentators agree is going on here. Jesus is not necessarily talking about literal eunuchs, though eunuchs, it was a practice in the Roman Empire for slaves and captured peoples that was very permanent, very predominant even. But, but Jesus is doing more here. He's talking about people who are sexually celibate. 
sexually celibate. And hear me, the Bible teaches that sex is only for those in monogamous, heterosexual marriage. That's the biblical sexual ethic. Those are the only confines for sex in a monogamous, heterosexual marriage. And so thus, Jesus is referring to single people when he says eunuchs because eunuchs can't have sex. And single people in the kingdom don't have sex because that's the biblical ethic that God has put on us. That's what he says is best for human flourishing. So uh, this is referring to single people, those who are celibate. Okay, so again, here we go, verse 12. When you, when, you read, when you read eunuch, think celibate, think single person. Verse 12. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus gives three cases here, three types, three even gifts, we might say, of what it means to be a eunuch, what it means to be celibate, what it means to be single. And I'm going to give us those three and kind of put some modern language around it to help frame it up well for us. First, there are those who are single from birth. Single from birth. Now, we are all single at birth. Okay, that'd be weird. That'd be very strange, but we, but, but this is different single from birth. What I have in view here is men or women who from birth will not pursue a sexual relationship for a myriad of reasons. Maybe it's because of a, a physical defect, perhaps a mental disability. Maybe they are a sexual Maybe they struggle with same-sex attraction. But whatever the reason, they remain single and celibate. That's what I think is, is here for, for single from birth. And, and when you start talking about single from birth, uh, a lot, I mean, this becomes a broad category that a lot of different people can fit into. And hear me, it only seems to be expanding in our cultural moment what this category might include. And when you start thinking about being single from birth, a, a lot of people begin to think like, like they paint this real dreary picture, like this real like rainy day, awful, you know, going home to an apartment by yourself and it's like dim and you're like making a microwave dinner and there's cats everywhere. It's like hell, right? I mean, <laughs> it's just like we paint this drab and, and kind of weary, dreary life. And hear me, that's just not the case. That's just not the case. We have had a number of members of Fathom Church who I think, and they would probably agree with me, fit in this camp. And their lives, hear me, were far from that picture. So here's a quote uh, from a same-sex attracted man who has chosen celibacy. Here's the quote. Is celibacy difficult? Yes. So is marriage so is grad school. Life is pain, princess. Oh, I like this guy, right? I like, I like that, right? Is it frustrating at times? Yes. But watch someone raising toddlers sometime, and it may change your perspective on the challenges of celibacy. Have there been times when I wanted to give up? Yes. But is it worth it? Yes. And do I regret it? No. It's the first category of single. You'd be single from birth. Second category. This is the largest group of singles, and this is what I'm calling the dedicated singles. <clears throat> dedicated singles. This is back to the text where it says they have been made single. They have been made single by their circumstances. It says by men in the text, but I'm gonna expand that to circumstances. Their circumstances have made them single. Maybe they would, would like to be married. Maybe they would have liked to be married and maybe they've kind of passed on that. But for whatever reason, because of the circumstances of their life, they have been made, they have been made unmarried for this season at this time. And so I'm calling them dedicated singles because they're dedicated to it in this season. 
And this, again, this is the category that we would most often think of when we think about single people, but it's broader maybe than just kind of the young and, you know, uh, you know attractive trying to find the spouse single. This, this includes divorcees, widows and widowers, okay, and then those who I would just call waiting, they're just in that season of waiting. Maybe this, this camp, they're hopeful that they'll have a spouse or even another spouse one day. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe they're in this season of healing from uh, a death or a, or a broken marriage. They're in a season of singleness where they're healing. But either way, they're in this season where they're dedicated to their singleness. That's the second category, dedicated singles. And then the third type of single, Jesus adds this category of a more radical singleness, which I'm just going to call vowed singles, vowed singles. These are those who renounce marriage because of the kingdom of God. This is different from, hey, I just don't think I'll ever get married. This is, I want to renounce singleness, be empowered by the spirit with this gift of singleness and move forward for the good of God's kingdom in a really uh, kind of myopic, laser focus sort of way. They get a sense from the spirit of God that they want to give over their life to the kingdom of God and they don't want the distraction of marriage. So they vow, they literally vow singleness for the sake of their ministry. And, and I'll just say this one like this, vowed singles. If you think you might be called into a vow of singleness, I really, really think you should process that with your church community. I really think you should process that with pastors or elders, with community, those very close to you. This shouldn't be entered into lightly. This is different than single, even for a long season, even for life. This is a vowed call of God on a specific mission in your life. It should be entered into in community with your church. Just say that. So those are the three kind of types of eunuchs, types of singleness. And it leads me then to my second point. Remember, point one was that singleness is a temporary gift. Point two, singleness is awesome. Singleness is awesome. Some creepy dude in the back's like, you know it is, right? Like, just stop, okay? Stop, that's, that's weird, okay? You're freaking us out. But, but listen, singleness is awesome. It's awesome. There are many, many good things that come with the temporary gift of being single. Tons of good things. Singleness is awesome. And the, the apostle Paul will say, be, that's because there's anxieties that come with being a married person. There's anxieties that come with being married. There's responsibility. There's sacrifice, there's hard work, there's submission, there's preferring the other person. This is why before he talks about singleness, he talks about divorce for many more verses because it's so hard to stay married. It's so hard to do marriage the biblical way. And now hear me, I'm all about marriage. I love marriage. I'm married. I love it. Okay. But sometimes the church, we only talk about marriage. Like we only talk about marriage and we want everyone to get married. And like we preach, here's three tips to like the Christ exalting marriage. And we keep doing that. And hear me, I'm okay with that stuff. But I just want to say to, to our single friends here, being single is awesome. It's an awesome gift. There are, listen, there are beautiful things about both marriage and singleness. And you've got to find the gold in whatever season you're in or it's going to be miserable. You can be a miserable single and you can be a miserable married person. You got to find the gold there. So listen, when I was single, I, I mean, it was great. Everything in my house, I, I owned all of it. I didn't have to share any of it. It was mine. When I was single, y'all, I had so many awesome hobbies, tons of hobbies. And now I have a whole basement of dusty gear to prove the point that I used to be awesome. I mean, I used to have all this stuff. It was great. When I was single, all of my money was spent on me. It belonged to me. 
I got to say what it went to. Now I spend money on things I never knew I needed. All kinds of stuff. I have, I have bins of decorations for every single season of the year. <laughs> bins. I got a spring, spring bin with eggs and fake flowers. I have fake flowers in my basement, everyone. I have a fall bin with ar- artificial gourds. In my basement, I have artificial gourds. I have Christmas bins. Listen, these things multiply like rabbits. I don't know how it is. Every December, we need more Christmas stuff, but we do. We go to St. Nick's and like break the bank every single year. When I was single, I had no such bins. I had no bins. I had zero bins. My, my, my apartment was decorated, okay? The theme was walls. And the occasional Broncos jersey. Like that was, that was it. That was the whole thing. I had no decor. Okay, now, now I am constantly receiving notifications from Amazon telling me that I have bought so many things I never knew that I needed. Soap. Soap is one of them. I have, I have so much soap. I counted this morning in preparation for this sermon in the shower. 12 bottles of soap reside in my shower. 12. When I was single, I had Ah, bar. And I washed everything with one bar of Irish spring. Washed my body with that thing. Washed my hair with that thing. Washed the floor with that thing. One bar. That's a bit of an exaggeration, okay? I never washed the floor, actually. Um, And those aren't bad things. The bins aren't bad things. It's just different, you guys. Things change when you get married. Things, and I just, I just, I, I asked Amanda this week, like, is it okay for me to say that singleness is awesome? And I, and she's like, yeah. And I'm okay. So, so I didn't, I don't think it's being casual with it. I don't think it's being crass. I don't think it's being flippant. Singleness is awesome. It's an awesome stage of life. And if God gifts you with singleness for the whole of your life, it can be awesome. It can be awesome. And that's why both Jesus and Paul call both marriage and singleness gifts. The teaching is that if you're married, you've been given that gift, the gift of marriage. And if you're single, you've been given that gift, the gift of singleness. God is being gracious to us by giving us gifts in our life circumstances. Singleness is the gift that allows you to be more devoted to God's kingdom more devoted to that. And he might give that gift to you for a season or for a lifetime. So here's a quote from Paige Benton Brown. She says this, I'm not single because I'm too spiritually unstable to deserve a husband or too spiritually mature to need one. I'm single because God is good. And this is his best for me. Oh, that perspective is amazing. Oh, that that would be our perspective regardless of our relationship status. One, uh, one more thing, one more point. Singleness is awesome, but let's be clear. Singleness is difficult as well. Point three, singleness is difficult. It's awesome. And it comes with its difficulties. And remember, we could insert marriage on this too. Marriage is awesome and marriage is difficult. Singleness is awesome and singleness is difficult. So I want to give us, uh, only, I'm, I don't have time for, for more than this. I have three difficulties about being single. Just three that came to mind this week. There are undoubtedly more, but let me give us three big ones. One, one common challenge for single people is loneliness. It's loneliness. You say, yeah, pastor, it sounds awesome that singleness is awesome, but I don't want to be alone. I, I hate being alone. I'm so lonely. Loneliness is a real difficulty in singleness. And to that, I'll, I'll, I'll sometimes hear people say like, well, all you need is God. All you need is God. And listen, that sounds really nice. It sounds really spiritual, but it's dumb. It's dumb. It's dumb because God never says this. God, God actually says, it's not good that man should be alone. That's what God says. He didn't look at Adam in the garden and say, hey, you've got me. 
That's got to be enough, man. How, how unspiritual are you, Adam? He doesn't say that. This is before the fall. Before sin entered the equation, he said, it's not good that man should be alone. God created us with the need for companionship. You're not supposed to be alone. But it's just that marriage is not the only way God takes care of that anymore. Jesus asserts all through the gospels, all through the gospels, that all familial relationships, mothers, brothers, children, even spouses, those are all only temporary relationships. But the relationships that you form in the body of Christ are permanent relationships. To both single and married people, the challenge of loneliness is not only to be met by your immediate family, by, by, by your family, it is meant to be met by the body of Christ, the church family. Jesus even elevates that family above his earthly family. So, so there is a difficulty of loneliness. Another difficulty, especially if you are a younger unmarried person, another difficulty is that you might say, gosh, I just really want to have kids. I really want to have my own kids. And listen, that's, that's a real difficulty as well. But Jesus also says in Mark chapter 10 that, that spiritual offspring are actually as important, maybe even more important, certainly more eternal than biological offspring are. And so while I think the loss of not being able to have children because of your singleness is real and needs to be mourned and needs to be dealt with, in the same way, if you are single, I would invite you into gospel ministry. Get involved in discipleship ministries of the church. Gosh, maybe it's with kids. Maybe it's with youth. Maybe it's with other adults. You can have adult spiritual children. Spiritual offspring in the kingdom of God are as or more important than biological offspring. And actually, that's what's being taught in the basement right now in the parenting class. The point of biological parenting is all about discipleship. It's about discipling them into the kingdom. It's not just keeping them alive until they're 18 and they move out of your house. It's about discipling them. So loneliness, kids, one more. Uh, a difficulty, a challenge, is that you will not have sex. Sex, we, I mean, we just have to acknowledge this. I'll put it this way. If you are single, the only part of your life that will remain unfulfilled in singleness is the sexual part of your life. And that's a legitimate loss that I do not want to minimize. But one of the cultural lies that you and I have largely bought into is that in order to live a full and meaningful life, you must express yourself sexually. That in some way you will live a drab and neutered existence if you are unable to be sexually active. And now hear me, that is simply not true. Simply not true. And this idea that your sexuality is somehow intrinsically linked to your identity and your flourishing is more a cultural result of Sigmund Freud than it is from the Bible. It's a modern philosophy that's been superimposed, God help us, even over the scriptures. But it's just not biblical. And gosh, we're bombarded with this message that if you're not having sex, then you're missing out on something that's vital to you, uh, your identity. And now listen, you are missing out on something, but it has nothing to do with your identity. It is not vital to your identity. And I don't want to downplay how strong that message can feel, but the truth is you don't need to have sexual experiences to be a complete and fulfilled person because Jesus Christ, a single man, the perfect man, was completely sexually abstinent. 
and he was tempted in every way and yet without sin. God says he will give you a a gift here, the gift of singleness. The Greek word is charisma. Charisma, a spiritual empowering is gifted to the single person to endure celibacy. So, you notice I didn't finish verse 12. Let's finish the verse. After all three qualifications for eunuchs, the last sentence says this. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. The the word translated receive there uh, in, in, in the Greek is the word koreo. Koreo is is translated receive in the ESV. Um, but I think it's, there's like a really robust definition to this Greek word. And I think uh, the better, uh, I mean, it would be very clunky if they translated this in the ESV this way. But the best way to understand koreo is, is that it means to leave space, to make room, to receive, to, to leave space for this, to make room. So you could re- translate that, that, that last sentence as this. Let the one who is able to make room for this, make room for it. If God, hear me, if God has given you the temporary gift of singleness with all of its awesomeness and with all of its difficulties, I want you to take Jesus' words to heart and I want you to make room for it. I want you to make room for it. I want to challenge you to make room for your singleness. Don't despise it. Don't survive it. Don't ignore it. Make make room for it. Make room for it. How? How would I even do that, you ask? Well, here's three thoughts. One, these are quick because we're almost out of time. First, learn who God is. In your singleness, learn who God is. You need grace from God to make it as a single person or as a married person. So keep going deeper with God. Keep learning who God is. Whatever state you're in, look there first, okay? See, when the vertical is right, he gives what you need in the horizontal, Okay, well, and when this relationship gets messed up, these relationships will always suffer. Some of you may not like your singleness, but God means it for good in your life to produce a love of Christ in you. I know that to be true. So the first is learn who God is. The second is leverage your time. Leverage your time. Don't live like you're waiting. Live the most fulfilled, joyful life that you can right now. Singleness is awesome. Leverage it. Leverage your time. Even if you don't want to be single, be intentional with this gift that God has given you. Don't squander it. God used men and women who uh, all throughout the scriptures who were both married and unmarried. Pillars of our faith were single. Your marital status, again, it's not what defines you. So be intentional. Don't waste this season. And then third, as you are single, lean into the church. Lean into the church. Hey, singles, 43% of you in here, singles, you're vital here. You are a vital part of this community. You lead groups, you lead kids, you lead youth, you lead worship, you're on staff. Listen, you're a vital part of the ministry here at Fathom. You're not second best here. You're not weird. I mean, some of you are a little weird, but, but <laughs> listen, you're awesome. You are awesome and we need you. If you are single, you will experience loneliness different than a married person will. And listen, y'all, married people experience loneliness. But if you're single, you will experience loneliness differently than a married person. And the church family is supposed to be a part of aiding that. We're supposed to be a part of aiding that. 
The church is a family, and as best we can, we need to open up our homes to one another. We need to open up our lives to one another. We need to learn from one another. We need to lean into each other's lives. And I'm not just talking about married to single. I'm talking single to marry, married to kids, kids to singles, across the board. This is why we do discipleship groups at Fathom the way we do, always mixed age and stage. We want that to be the fabric of the body of Christ. If today you are single, Jesus' challenge is for you to make room for it. Make room for it. So you ever feel like you're, you're on the wrong plane? You ever look at your life and you think, man, what, what did I misread on my ticket? How did I end up in this, this destination I hadn't planned on? Why am I here? I just want you to know, God sees you. God knows you. And God's grace is sufficient for you in whatever season you're in, at whatever destination you find yourself. Let the one who is able to make room for this, make room for it. Let's pray together. Lord, we bless you. This is a strange text. It's a strange passage, and yet it is a very, very important topic. The gift that you give us of relationships, whether they come in the form of marriage relationships or whether they come in the form of church family, friends, immediate family that, that happens to be in a season of singleness. God, these are good gifts to your people. God, we affirm you did say it is not good for man to be alone. And I pray that Fathom Church would be a church where there are no lonely people where almost half of our church are single, I pray that there would not be loneliness, but there would be encouragement. That there would not be loneliness, but there would be the building up of one another. That there would not be a, a, a looking down upon this season of life that is singleness, but it would be lifted up as one of God's good and right gifts to each one. Lord, we're all single at some point in our lives. Some of us will be single for our whole lives. Holy Spirit, we need your gift. We need your charisma. We need you to encourage us and to build us up and to give us what we need to live the way that you call us to. So help us to do that. I'm thinking of friends in here who I know, this is us, a tender spot in their heart. Lord, would you minister to them? Would you, would you give them a, a Holy Spirit touch right now? Remind them of who you are and who they are. And Lord, let us as your church rally to be a place of encouragement like this. To the married who is struggling and to the single who is struggling. From the married who is secure to the single who is secure. May we all build one another up until we all attain maturity. So God, we love you. What a great text about eunuchs. Lord, help it to not just be information, but let it lead to transformation in our lives. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name and in the power of the Spirit. Amen.